Thank you for reading John 9 as well, uh, Nathaniel. I mean, it's a long passage to read, but I think it's just really helpful to get the whole context because there's so much kind of detail in there that is recorded for us um, by, by John. So we're going to look together now. If you, um, if you have your Bible uh, with you, we're back in, in John chapter 9. Um, and we're going to look at the unmistakable change that Jesus uh, makes. The unmistakable change. Now, um, we live in a world uh, that is both breathtakingly beautiful and yet broken um, at the same time, don't we? Like living here in, in Wales, um, we're so blessed, don't we, by the beauty that that surrounds us. I mean, as I say, I live in Mid Wales. The drive through the middle of Wales um, is just absolutely stunning. And, you, you know, you haven't got to drive far in any direction to just be hit by fantastic beauty. We see that all around us, uh, don't we? Our world is wonderful. Everywhere we look, we see the fingerprints of an incredible designer, don't we? There are so many things to marvel at, isn't there, in the way that God has lovingly created this planet and the universe. Now, last year, I was watching uh, a series on the BBC. I don't know if any of you saw it. It was called, uh, on BBC One, it was called A Perfect Planet. It was one of these David Attenborough documentaries. Um, now the main thrust of this particular series was to show um, how, in various ways, our planet is just perfect for sustaining life. Um, there was also a, a, an element to it which went on to show how we're not doing a particularly good job of looking after um, the planet that we, that we live on. Some of the stuff they showed on there, and I love all the documentary series by David Attenborough, um, but some of the stuff was really, really awe-inspiring. Now, during one particular episode, uh, they were looking at the way in which the oceans sustain life and how the currents and the tides play a significant part in sustaining life all over this planet. And during that episode, uh, David Attenborough said this, I quote, he said, by, by a stroke of cosmic good fortune, the earth has a satellite, the moon, that orbits the earth every 27 days. And I thought, wow, cosmic good fortune. I mean, for its worth, I think David Attenborough is a remarkable man. I think the way he narrates uh, those TV programs is brilliant. He's got just the, this knack of saying just the right thing or not saying anything, just allowing the pictures to speak for themselves. But for a man who has had the privilege of seeing what he has seen throughout his life, the beauty and the majesty of the universe in such dramatic detail, for him to come out with a comment like that, it makes you scratch your head a bit, doesn't it? Cosmic good fortune, David. Anyway, away from Mr. Attenborough for a moment, just look at society in general. I would say what, what has potentially happened over the last couple of years is that many of the things that people have tended to put their hope in have been shown to be totally unworthy of that hope. Haven't they? So 
whether it's their health, whether it's their, their jobs, their finances, whether it's being able to spend time with, with loved ones, all of those things and many more over the course of the last couple of years, they've been shaken, haven't they? But rather, rather than lifting their eyes to heaven and seeking hope in the only place it truly can be found, people have just sought other things to put their hope in. Or they've uh, they just battened down the hatches and sought to, to ride it out and as things have opened up, they've just sought to pick up where they left off in, in March 2020. Why? Why? Why is it that people aren't able to see that the only reasonable thing to do is to turn to the one who made them, the one who sustains them day by day? Why are people not able to see that? Why aren't they able to look at the beauty around us here in, in Wales? And see that there's a loving creator behind it all. Well, I believe the passage that Nathaniel read for us in, in John 9, I think it provides us both of the diagnosis, but also, wonderfully, the remedy for that. See, John 9 contains this incredible uh, account of this miracle, doesn't it? It shows us the supreme power that exists in Jesus Christ. See, we meet this man who is born blind, whom Jesus miraculously heals. He gives him the gift of sight. And as we take a look at his, his plight, uh, and as we take a look at the way that Jesus intervenes in his life, I trust that we'll be reminded of his mighty power to save. And I trust that we'll rejoice in the sight that we have been given, if indeed we have that sight. So the three things I want to look at. And the first one is, is this, that we are broken people in a broken world. We are broken people in a broken world. Now, in, a, in, in that sense, David Attenborough was right. Um, we are living on a planet that is experiencing decay aren't we? It's not as perfect uh, as it once was. But ultimately, the reason for that isn't because we've burnt too much oil and gas. Now, hear me out, I'm not trying to get into a green debate uh, this morning. Um, of course, you know, we must be responsible with the way in which we look after the, uh, the world that God has given us. However, what I am saying is that the reason our planet is experiencing decay is ultimately because it is suffering the effects of sin. The question of uh, why bad stuff happens gets asked a lot, doesn't it? Why do we see earthquakes, cancers, coronaviruses? In our world. Well, way back in uh, Genesis 3, just after sin has entered the world, God pronounces that all creation will suffer the effects of sin. In verses 14 to 19 
of Genesis 3, we see that there will be pain. We see there will be strife in relationships. And we see that even the ground itself will suffer. So verse 17 of Genesis 3 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, despite all of that being really clear throughout the Old Testament, there was still a perception among the Jews of the day here that affliction must be intrinsically linked to specific sins. So, if somebody came down with a, with a plague, it must have been because of something they had done. And that's the question that's on the minds of the disciples as we uh, begin in, in, in John 9. In verse 2, they're, they're, they're wondering what's going on here. You know, what has this man done to be blind? And ha hang on a minute, he was, he was blind at birth. So maybe it was due to something his parents did. Well, Wallace, Wallace certainly is the case that there are times when specific sin leads directly to certain afflictions. It certainly is not the case that one follows intrinsically on from the other. And Jesus categorically rules out any such thinking as void. Because he responds and says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. See, this is a man who is living in a fallen world where affliction is part of that fallen world however Jesus goes on to uh, to explain that this man's afflictions were about to present an opportunity for God to be glorified see the man's situation was hopeless He's been blind from birth. He's never seen a thing. This man has been confined to a life of begging. Now Jesus is showing us here, folks, that there is no condition that is beyond him. There is nothing that is impossible for the Son of God. Now Jesus goes on to make it clear to the Pharisees at the end of the chapter that blindness is not simply a physical ailment but actually is very much a spiritual one. So the biggest problem facing every single one of us in this room this morning and anybody watching online by our nature it's not any form of medical condition, folks. You see, we are all born blind. Not physically, but spiritually. See, we're all like the Pharisees in verse 41 of John chapter 9. We're all spiritually blind now the man that we encounter at the start of the chapter he might have been physically blind but it's the pharisees in this chapter that have the the far more profound blindness 
See, Jesus has been traveling around for some time now. When we enter John 9, he's been performing all kinds of miracles. He's been healing people of diseases. He's fed 5,000 people with some fish and few fish and loaves. He's, he's changed water into wine. He's said incredible things. He's taught with such authority. And yet, when the Pharisees look at him, they see nothing at all. See, here is the Son of God before their very eyes. And they see nothing. See, friends, we are, we are all born in sin. We are, we're born blind. We don't, we don't have that right view of God that we should have. From our very earliest moments of infancy, when faced with the opportunity, we choose to sin. We put ourselves at the centre, don't we? And that insistence on following our own desires, it blinds us to the reality of who God is. See, we don't, in our natural state, we don't see our need of a saviour. 2 Corinthians uh, 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So here's the thing. Whatever physical struggles you may face, and they may be, they may be many, Whatever trying circumstances have come your way, they are not even close to being your biggest problem. And the question is, do you recognize that? Do you recognize that? So that's the first thing we see is that we are broken people living in a broken world. But secondly, and more positively, Jesus Christ has the power to heal. Jesus has the power to heal. Now here's the great news this morning. Whatever your state, however profound your blindness, Jesus is able to open blind eyes. See, as we've already noticed, uh, the man's situation was hopeless. See, he's never, he's never seen in his life. He doesn't have any idea what yellow looks like. Or red, blue, green. He's never seen a flower or a butterfly. It's all darkness. Now the eye, the eye. Think with me for a moment. The eye. 
It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's such an intricate mechanism. In fact, each eye consists of more than two million working parts. Each eye can detect more than 10 million color hues. I mean, I, I'm sure you have the same experience as me. When you see a beautiful landscape in front of you and you get your camera out, the phone, whatever, and you go to take a photo of it, that photo is never able to do justice to what you saw with your naked eye, is it? Apparently, uh, your eye contributes to 85% of your total knowledge. Now, praise God for your eyes. Praise God for the gift of sight. You, my friends, are fearfully and wonderfully made. That didn't just happen, let me tell you. But what an affliction blindness is. And that is the lot of this man we meet in John 9. He can't see a thing. He never has done. Until, that is, he meets Jesus Christ. See, wonderfully, Jesus declares to his disciples that the blind man's plight has led them into a situation where the work of God can be displayed in his life before their very eyes. You see, where barriers exist for others, nothing is a barrier for Jesus, the Son of God. As we're reminded in Matthew 19, verse 26, and Luke 1, verse 37, we read that nothing is impossible for God. See, this man's blindness is, to all intents and purposes, it is an insurmountable problem. His eyes don't work. He's never been able to see. Watch, says Jesus. Watch as the work of God is displayed in this man's life. So verses 6 and 7. He spat on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva. He put on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I mean, what an incredible moment for this man. What incredible power exists in the person of Jesus Christ. See, this is no mere man, folks. This is no mere man. This is indeed the God-man. Uh, J.C. Ryle, a uh, well-known commentator writing on this passage, he says... Such a miracle is meant to teach an old truth which we can never know too well. It shows us that Jesus, the saviour of sinners, has all power in heaven and earth. Such mighty works could never have been done by one that was merely man. In the cure of this blind man, 
we see nothing less than the finger of God. At the touch of Jesus, those two million parts in the eye were restored to full working order. Now, this might not have been the most COVID-safe method of healing that uh, Jesus used. He spat on the ground, made some mud and put it on the man's eyes. I wonder, was it, was it the mud that healed the man? Was it the water? Was there something magical about the water in the pool? Well, there was nothing magic in the mud or the water. See, Jesus could have healed the man's sight with, with just a word or a touch. But he chose, chose to use these means. All the blind man had to do was to believe in the words of Jesus. There was no hope in anything else. I think it's helpful just to, as a slight aside to, for us to realise that Jesus isn't limited to particular ways of, of working. The person sat next to you uh, may have been saved in a very different fashion to you. And for us to see that there is no situation that is beyond his power to transform. Now maybe you've been coming to church for years and years. You've, you've heard all about Jesus. You've heard all about your state as a sinner before a holy God. And you've heard all about his perfect life that was lived on your behalf. And of his cruel death on a Roman cross in the place of sinners. You've heard all about that and yet, and yet you have remained spiritually blind. You've just not been able to see it. Maybe you, uh, you enjoy the, the social side of church, but perhaps you're still in the dark. Like the Pharisees at the end of the chapter, maybe you just don't see Jesus Christ for who he is. Well, what hope is there for you? Or perhaps you'd like to think that Jesus can forgive you. You think that what's said about him week by week from this pulpit here, you think it is true, but you've done some pretty terrible things in the past. And you just don't know whether he really wants to receive people like you. Well, folks, here's the thing. If the blind man here in John 9 had not believed in the words of Jesus, he would have remained a blind man. But he believed and he saw. 
if you don't believe in the words of Jesus, you will remain in your spiritual blindness. But here's the wonderful news this morning. All you need to do, whatever your journey has been to this moment, all you need to do is believe. Believe. See, while the the man here in this account, he received a, a washing in the pool of Siloam, there is a washing that is available for all in the blood that flowed from Jesus on the cross of Calvary. As 1 John 1 verse 7 tells us, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. I was a little bit disappointed over uh, the past winter that we've not long had uh, at the lack of snow. Now, uh, I don't know whether you think of snow, uh, whether you were actually very happy uh, not to see any. I don't know. Do you get much down here anyway? Um, I moved to Mid Wales for snow, and we've hardly had any in the last eight years. Um, anyway, either way, whether you like snow like me or you don't like snow, I hope this is something that we can agree on. The wonderful thing I find about snow is its ability to make even the ugliest of scenes look beautiful, isn't it? See, whether there's a field uh, with just a slight blemish in the corner, but overall looks pretty nice, or whether you're looking at a stinky rubbish dump, a blanket of snow covers it all, doesn't it? And that's how it is with Jesus. See, as the hymn writer says, his blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. So, Jesus has the power to heal. But finally, finally, I want us to notice that those who have received sight have a story to tell. Those who have received sight have a story to tell. Because you see what happens following on from uh, the miraculous healing in, in verses 6 and 7 is something of an inquisition. It's firstly, in uh, verses 8 to 12, the man's neighbours are scratching their heads. See, it certainly looks like the same chap, but surely it, it, can't, it can't be. He's a blind man. He's the one who used to sit and beg. But the man insists that, yes, he is in fact the same person. And he explains how Jesus healed his sight. But following on from that, there comes a more sinister interaction. See, the Pharisees are aware of what has been going on. And in true Pharisee style... They're not happy. They've got a problem. So they summon the man. 
and they explained to the man that it was a Sabbath day and that it's unlawful to do work on the Sabbath day. And they, they decided that Jesus' act of putting mud on the blind man's eyes, in their judgment, that was work. And therefore, Jesus could not possibly be from God. He's a sinner. He's somebody who's trying to take glory away from God. The Pharisees, they, they even summon the man's parents, don't they? Just to double check that this wasn't all some big hoax. And he had indeed been born blind. So you see, when confronted with crystal clear evidence as to who Jesus was, these people, blinded by their own sin and self-righteousness, they simply could not reach the only reasonable conclusion. There must be another answer. So in verse 24, they summon the man again, and we can read their words. John 9, verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been born, who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Well, what does the man say? Maybe they're right. Maybe the Pharisees are right. Maybe Jesus has broken the Sabbath. Maybe they've got a point. Perhaps, perhaps he should get his scroll out and look into the technicalities of what it means to honour the Sabbath. Perhaps he should arrange to meet with the, uh, the Pharisees to discuss these matters further. Or maybe there should be some kind of apologetics event arranged uh, to look at whether making mud constitutes work. Well, that's not what happens, is it? That's not what happens. Of course it's not what happens. You see, there's a wonderful simplicity in the man's response in verse 25. I think this might be one of my favourite verses in the Bible. I think we'll do well to learn from it. Verse 25. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. You see, the man isn't in the slightest bit interested in getting bogged down with stuff he doesn't know. He's happy to leave that to the theological experts. Rather, he focuses on what he does know. And that is that he was blind, but now he can see. I found uh, J.C. Ryle again very helpful here. He says there is no kind of evidence that is satisfactory to the, to the heart of the real Christian. 
that is so satisfactory to the heart of the real Christian. His knowledge may be small, his faith may be feeble, his doctrinal views may be at present confused and indistinct, but if Christ has really wrought a work of grace in his heart by his spirit, he feels within him something that you cannot overthrow. I was dark and now I have light. I was afraid of God and now I love him. I was fond of sin and now I hate it. I was blind but now I see. See, personal testimony is such a powerful thing. See, this man had his story. There was no disputing the difference that Jesus had made in his life. He'd not been to Bible college. He hadn't read uh, Wayne Gruden's systematic theology. He'd never even been to Sunday school. He hadn't heard one of Nathaniel's children's talks. But he knew one thing. He was blind, now he can see. See, his life had changed. And furthermore, Jesus did it. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, you've got a similar story to tell. And what a joy it is to focus on that. I can tell you, I spent the first 20 years of my life being convinced that I had no need for God. Despite hearing the gospel probably over a thousand times, I was blind. In my late teens, I became more convinced of my lack of need for God. And then, one day, in August 2003, at the age of 20, Jesus Christ opened my eyes to the reality of my sin. But he also showed me that he had paid for it all. I just needed to trust him. I just needed to believe. Friends, I, I didn't know all the ins and outs of the, the doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm still learning now. I trust we all are. But I knew at that moment that I was no longer blind. I knew I could see. And there is no greater thing that a person can know. Now friends, this is what people need to hear. Isn't it? We, if you're a Christian this morning, we have met the great physician. We've met him. And our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues, our family members, they need to meet him too. They need to hear about the difference that he has made in our lives. So share it with one another. 
Go for a walk with someone and tell them about the change that Jesus has made for you. I can tell you it will do your soul good. And we can pray it will do their soul good too. But maybe you're sat here this morning and you know that you haven't got a story to tell. You've never trusted Jesus. You've remained in darkness. Well, if that is you this morning, can I encourage you to come into the light? As Nathaniel said earlier on, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Come into the light this morning. As Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, Today is the day of salvation. So you are a broken person living in a broken world. But Jesus is able to heal. He's able to save you. He is willing. Are you?